Well, good morning and welcome to Treasures of Faith. As you all know, this is a local production of Divine Mercy Radio. I am your host, Bill Gent, and it's my pleasure to be joined by Father Ben Berinti. And we are engaging in a Lenten pilgrimage, which began last week. I want to mention up front, uh, for anyone who knows someone who is an inactive Catholic and may be interested or even remotely interested in returning to the Catholic Church, they can certainly come to my parish this evening at 7 p.m. on A1A in Indian Atlantic, Holy Name of Jesus. And we're going to be conducting a four-week series that focuses on inactive Catholics, welcoming them home. And so, Father Ben, I know you would be supportive of welcoming home people to the Catholic faith. By the way, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, this is also part of our outreach as uh, Catholics during the Lenten season is really trying to open our hearts, our minds, but also open our doors as well. And there are many people, you know, using our image of pilgrimage, they are trying to find their way uh, through life, and some are trying to find their way back to the home of the Catholic Church. And uh, we, we want to be as open and receptive to receiving and offering hospitality to them as, as possible. So we're, you know, so we're all on different manner of pilgrimages, um, and we as we talked about last week, you know, we do it best uh, when we're in community. And so certainly being an open community that welcomes inquires uh, to explore how to reconnect with God and the church uh, is an awesome thing. So I hope I hope people will take advantage of that. People just don't show up to these things. We have to be an inviting yes. people. So yeah. it really is important that we invite people to, to come along with us yeah. on the road. A- a- accompany them, uh, and it'll only be an hour or something. But again, another opportunity to engage people. This is what evangelization is really all about. These are opportunities that the Lord gives us. Well, Father Ben, I know we uh, introduced our Lenten pilgrimage last week, and it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, in the intervening time, it's amazing to see, even in the media, you hear people talking about, even if they are not Catholic, the word Lent is getting around, Father. Yeah, very much so. Um, we've talked about this before, that um, even across, uh, firstly, sort of in-house, uh, within Christian uh, churches across the board, uh, many Christian denominations, for you know a variety of reasons, that drifted away from the sense of liturgical seasons and uh, ashes and Lent and Advent and all those things, really see how important marking these the seasons of our lives uh, and connecting them with the seasons of faith, uh, you know is incredibly important and valuable and people are looking for this and so you see but as you mentioned as well it's not just within christianity itself is is people are looking you know in in a world where there is so much available to us uh and yet at the same time there's so much that 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 sort of aspects of life become indistinguishable because there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are looking for markers, some kind of boundaries in their life, something to help me define what is it that I'm I'm going through right now. And certainly the church provides these seasons uh, to help us enter enter into that. So it's not surprising in many ways that uh, liturgical seasons, they're not just for the church anymore. Right. They are ways, because again, I mentioned this last week, liturgical seasons didn't drop down out of the sky. They were ways that everyday people wanted to mark the events, the experiences, the movement of their own lives from joy to sorrow to penitence to new life to new beginnings. And 
And that's what Advent, Lent, Ordinary Time, Easter, that's what these things are all about. So not surprising that people are trying to find their way to a, a more ordered pattern in life that seasons provide. I think the church also, Father, if you look at, you know, our individual parishes, our Catholic churches, they kind of represent a place to escape to, to drown or get rid of all the noise that tends to surround us on a regular basis. There's something about that. And then the way our churches, I mean, we kind of give a sense of the penitential it draws people into the quiet, to the reflective, and I think people are seeking that in some way, even if they're not Catholic. I, I think I've mentioned on my program, I mean, oftentimes at my parish, it probably happens at your parish, I'll be going into the church for something and people will just be sitting in there. They're not even parishioners, mm-hmm. but they somehow instinctively know that if they go to a Catholic church, <clears throat> now maybe in the future we're going to be locking them all up, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, but isn't it interesting that people seek out a church, primarily a Catholic church, as a place to just get alone and get quiet? Sure, absolutely. I mean, this in, in a, you know, living a daily life, I don't care what your status in life is, your age or whatever else, we live in a a tumultuous, uh, noisy world, um, and there are very few places to go to escape that. Um, and so people still recognize churches, particularly Catholic churches, as these kinds of refuges that mm-hmm. they can they can turn to, even if it's just just passing by. And um, so they people are are seeking that out now because we're so sort of culturally trained to live within all of this uh, noise and confusion and uh, overstimulation, um, people yearn for it but still find it hard to do yeah. or because they're not trained in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in many ways, um, the Lenten season really is a time not only for, for newcomers, uh, you know, because this is the season of preparing catechumens and candidates for entrance into the life of the Catholic Church, an intense training period, this time of purification and enlightenment that began uh, on Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent. But it's also for everybody else. So this is, you know, we also need to be schooled and trained um, how to once again embrace the season, uh, how mm-hmm. to embrace silence, how to embrace penitence, almsgiving, prayer in our life. So just because you learned these things once a long time ago doesn't mean you're able to, to keep them up. So in some ways, you know, maybe you and I and our listeners are more experienced in these ways, but we need as much of a reminder of how to do this yeah. and how to do it well mm. um, and not just simply checking off the boxes. So, so we, we have a lot in common with we're still seekers as well. Yep. You know, I bet a priest will be 35 years this mm-hmm. year. I'm, I'm still as much a seeker today mm-hmm. as I was when I was mm-hmm. 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that in common with the rest of the world who's on a pilgrimage as well. And what we hope that we can do is use some of our own training, our own experiences, use our own Lenten reinvigoration, you know, um, and I think that's very attractive, Father, because as you just said, you've been a priest for 35 years, and so you have grown so much in your own spiritual life, and yet you would never claim to have already arrived, so to speak, you know? And we knew, <clears throat> we know that we have a destination. We know it's the kingdom of God, but to know that our priests, uh, hopefully our bishops, hopefully the Pope, that they also see themselves as still on the journey, that really encourages those of us who are lay people to not only follow, 
but also see that we are following someone who also is not pretending to have already arrived and that we have to somehow reach that standard in a very short period of time, like 40 days of Lent. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, we, you know, we talked about that in our introduction uh, last week, and you know, so that this whole image of pilgrimage, I mean, if anything from Old Testament to New Testament is clear, is that all, sort of almost every narrative uh, of a relationship with God is cast in terms of journey. And so anyone who thinks that they have arrived um, or at least perhaps, you know, you and I and others, you get to occasionally arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a mm-hmm. pilgrim church, well, you're not going to be there for very long. At least that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think this is often, unfortunately, what happens with many people of faith. They they think they've arrived and then they just kind of stay that's there. That's a danger. For, yeah, <laughs> they stay there for the next year, yes. uh, next 25 <laughs> years and and don't sort of move beyond that. So this whole uh, notion that we're in this uh, this movement, we're all a pilgrim church from top to bottom, bottom to top. Um, last night I was sharing with uh, parishioners uh, in our first um, Bible study we had last evening for the Lenten season. We were focusing on the, the passion narratives every Monday evening, having a soup and Bible study at, from 6 to 7 on Monday nights. And by the place. way, you stole some of my people last night. Yes, I did steal <laughs> some of your uh, some of your people, and they were very... Um, I'm I don't know. Kidding. They were they were emotionally troubled over the fact of leaving <laughs> leaving you behind, but um, but I'm sure it's not as good as yours. And oh no! <laughs> so next week you'll probably get them back again. So I'm but just kidding. Anyway, while we were doing that, one of the things I was sharing with people um, that as we approach the scripture, certainly the passion narratives in general, but all of the scripture is one of the elements that's always dynamics that's always happening when we approach scripture is the element of mystery. And what I define mystery is it's something that can never be exhausted. So the same thing here is we're on this Lenten pilgrimage. We come to new insights. Uh, we'll be arriving at our first stop today. But we, we, when you're on pilgrimage, when you're on a journey, you never you may get exhausted along the way, right. but you don't exhaust what God has in store uh, for well, us. Father, as we continue our pilgrimage, uh, we want to look today at the highs and the lows of pilgrimage. And I'm just thinking of the pilgrimage that I had the pleasure to experience over in the Holy Land. And I can remember there were highs and lows in the sense of the highs were this wonderful spiritual experience I was having. And then at the next moment, I'm being jostled by the crowds. (laughs) I think I shared that last time and at the Holy Sepulchre. And, you know, these are highs and lows. They're all part of the journey. Right. And I think that's uh, what we're going to focus on today is the whole experience. Our first stop is uh, the holy city of Jerusalem. And so today we're going to be reflecting on Jesus's movement to Jerusalem. Why did he do that? What's the importance of that? What does he encounter when he gets there? And then what are the implications um, for us? But encapsulated, even as you read the New Testament Gospels uh, about Jesus' experience going to Jerusalem in Jerusalem, uh, just think about the Palm Sunday snapshot. You've got the whole package right there. You know, this great adulation, the highs of this. Oh, my gosh, everything is coming to fruition. The apostles mm-hmm. are, thank goodness, finally we're getting some positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the whole thing turns upside down in, in a matter of paragraphs. Uh, and, and that's, again, the journey of our life, too. Mm-hmm. So both literally on pilgrimages when people make these kinds of trips, but as we're making you know, our pilgrimage through the week, through the day, through the Lenten season, 
we are going to experience these. Oh my gosh, that is such a beautiful thing. And oh, the group was so great today. And and we had such a fun time there and we had a wonderful meal together. And then the next afternoon, like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait till I get home and away from these people. They're driving me nuts. <laughs> so uh, or as you said, you know, you visit these holy sites and you're you're taken from great rapture over what you see to, um, you know, uh, other tourists pushing you out of yes. the way and grabbing the souvenir that you wanted to bring home and. And, and the most holy moment of all when you're on pilgrimage to Rome and you want to get your items blessed by the Holy Father and suddenly 15,000 people are holding up boxes and bags of rosaries and you realize, oh, so this is what it means when something's blessed by the Holy Father. So we, we sort of have all of this you know, going on at the, at the mm. same time. Mm. So the whole business about moving to Jerusalem, because remember, Jerusalem as we'll see today, this was Jesus's destiny. This, his whole purpose is, is moving in this uh, direction. Um, and it, it's the culmination. It's really the first kind of peak climax of his movement in the passion. And yet it is this intricate, complex mixture of joy and sorrow and, and pain and exuberance all together. And, and that's our that's we don't even have to go three days to experience something like that sometimes we're in the middle of that even in one given day of the journey of our life and we think about jerusalem father even in jesus's day so it's referred to as i guess the holy city by the jews and yet underneath it all there was a lot of corruption oh there were a lot of things happening so you see the highs and the lows there you know it's not unlike what we're experiencing in our own world today um, and yet we see that Jesus is moving in that direction. And I guess as we think about a pilgrimage, we think about being on a journey, and our faith lives really are a journey with him. That's where we really find our peace. Isn't that true? Right. I mean, and that's the whole purpose of our, uh, you know, the Lenten season and our Lenten pilgrimage. Uh, we talked a little bit last time as we, we kind of have somewhat of a tendency in uh, Catholic spirituality that we turn Lent, yes, it's a season of the church, but then we turn it into it's sort of my individual Reformation project time. Mm. Well, yes, we're invited into always conversion as persons, but we're invited primarily conversions as a community. Mm. And um, so, yeah, just reminding ourselves that that we we this is just not our own personal Reformation project. I'm not making my way through Lent by myself. I'm in companionship with the Lord himself. That's why I'm making mm. this. That's why the this journey of Lent, if it's going to have any meaning at all, it has to have meaning because I'm accompanying Christ. Christ is accompanying me, and together he is going to bring about renewal and hope and transformation. Um, if, it's, if I just—and and that can happen, I think, even for us. We can be doing practices— of the Lord. So I read a scripture or I pray a certain devotion or I make the way of the cross. So I can do those things, but in some sense still not be really connected with, I am walking with the Lord or it's the mm. Lord who's speaking to me in these mm. scriptures. We can kind of do them at times a little pro forma. Mm -hmm. And again, the focus is on our own personal reclamation. Mm -hmm. You know, even sometimes I think people going to celebrate what will now be one of the many penitential services that parishes will be offering and option for individual confession. I mean, sometimes I think people go into that and it's still about personal reclamation. 
And it's like, no, you're encountering the Lord here. You're encountering the Lord, first of all, in the community of people seeking God's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You're encountering the Lord in the person of the priest who uh, the Lord has given authority to forgive sins in his name. Uh, you are encountering the Lord and the Holy Spirit in your heart there. It's not just you doing your penitential thing mm -hmm. and then moving on. Mm -hmm. So it, sometimes it's a hard uh, a hard thing. But yes, we're, we're not in pilgrimage alone. We're in community, but we're being led. <laughs> the pilgrim guide is is the Lord, and we want to walk as closely to him as, as, as possible. Now, in that day, Father, uh, given that Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem at the time of Passover— Many of the Jews would have been thinking in terms of being pilgrims themselves, and that would also have included the apostles. Am I correct? Yeah, very much so. So this is, uh, in many ways, let's kind of begin to take a little look at least what the Scriptures tell us about uh, Jesus's movement to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Mark's Gospel, um, of course, being the shortest of all, has Jesus only go to Jerusalem one time in his ministry because it plays into the overall uh, themes that Mark is trying to, to accomplish. So the climax of the whole Gospel of Mark is Jesus' death and resurrection, so he wants him to make his movement to Jerusalem really only once. Mm -hmm. Other uh, Gospel writers see Jesus going there perhaps more than once, and sometimes many people would say, well, because he was a faithful Jew, he would have gone to Jerusalem probably mm -hmm. more than one time, several <clears throat> times during the course of his ministry for Passover. for At least once or twice a year. Yes, right, exactly. So again, the gospel writers are maybe silent about other trips there because it doesn't serve their, their mm -hmm. purpose. But Mark is, is, has a special purpose in mind, so he has Jesus go only there once because the whole climax of the death and resurrection of Christ begins there. And uh, for those of uh, our listeners who are familiar with uh, perhaps having studied at times the Gospel of Mark, and we always talk about the messianic secret in Mark, like everything has to be a secret. Mm -hmm. Don't let anybody know that I'm the Messiah. Mm -hmm. For Mark's Gospel, the messianic secret is unveiled at Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So now it's openly clear mm -hmm. this is the Messiah. So Mark, Mark mm -hmm. has some interesting things, but um, this morning what I'd like to do is spend some time with us looking at Luke's Gospel, uh, because Luke has, uh, we might say, a disproportionate focus <laughs> on Jesus's uh, journey to Jerusalem. It takes up nine of 24 chapters. Mm -hmm. So again, we were talking earlier about the, the model or the metaphor that we are always on a journey with Christ on pilgrimage. Luke is the one who drives that home. Like this is mostly what Jesus is doing is journeying towards uh, Jerusalem. So again, as he's going there, it's Passover time. Um, so let's, we were, you're talking about some of your early pilgrimage experiences. This is a very congested <laughs> time, uh, many different kinds of people coming. Mm. Um, and as would be during a great religious celebration, High Holy Day, just think about it. There was a great mixture of all kinds of people coming, people who are incredibly devout, people who are doing this because, you know what, my parents are making me go to Jerusalem because it's the high holy days. Mm -hmm. There are people who are going to Jerusalem to hawk all of their religious wares. So you've, so you've got this great mixture of humanity, mm -hmm. a real slice of what our everyday life is like, mm -hmm. purportedly going for these 
religious purposes. Mm -hmm. But under that big umbrella of Passover and going to Jerusalem, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. A variety of motivations. Variety of motivations. And and in one sense, isn't that our story as well? Under the big umbrella of even this Lenten faith journey in our communities, our parish communities, um, there's a lot of different motivations going on. And I think what we hope happens through the practices of Lent, sort of the three legs of the Lenten stool, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, that that we're purifying our motivations. Mm. We're becoming more intentional about what we're doing. We're not just along for the ride or because somebody told us this is what we needed to do. So even in Jesus' own time, so he's, he's moving to uh, Jerusalem, and Luke is really a great place to kind of explore the meaning of Jesus' uh, movement um, to Jerusalem. In fact, because Luke spends so much time on it, you can almost say that you know more than a third of the Gospel of Luke is a travel narrative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yep. all about, and it, and it, and it. Uh, I would encourage people to look at those chapters. So we're talking about Luke chapter nine, all the way to Luke chapter nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for your own meditation, it's great to look at that, read that, because it captures many of the things we said last week about how do you, how can you be a, a pilgrim rather than a tourist. Mm. What's important in a pilgrimage is what's happening along the way to the destination. Mm-hmm. Who are you meeting? What, what are the kinds of encounters? Because in a sense, for Luke and for others, what you see happen in Jerusalem, in other words, what happens during the days of the Triduum, the most intense periods of the Passion, all that stuff has already been happening prior mm-hmm. to getting there. Mm-hmm the highs and the lows Mm -hmm. had already been occurring, Mm -hmm. the acceptance and the rejection. Uh, Yes, you are changing my life to, you are disrupting our whole religious, I mean, so all the things that really get the spotlight shined on them once Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, gets to the destination, you've been seeing this happening along the way. Uh, And I think, again, this is is the story of our life. We have these more intense moments Mm -hmm. when when things are crystallizing, and, and but if we kind of look at where we have been going up to this point, we've mm. probably had hints and guesses. We've had encounters along the way. We just maybe missed a lot of that. And, and we sometimes think, Father, I know you're talking about Luke's gospel here, and the beauty of these gospel stories is the encounters, you mentioned encounters, that Jesus has with a variety of people on the way. So we think in terms of a pilgrimage, let's, for example, say we're going to the Holy Land. So we're thinking in terms of, okay, I get in an airplane maybe here in Orlando, and the pilgrimage actually begins when I get to land in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem. And yet in reality, when you think about it, no, you're going to be encountering people along the way. And that's sort of what Jesus does on the way to Jerusalem. And can we see ourselves of some of these people that he does minister to along the way. Can we see ourselves as we too are on this journey? Right. I mean, I th- uh, in a in a different kind of a context, I I have a little uh, fervorino. I often share with people when I'm trying to talk about uh, particularly Sunday Eucharist, and I will say to them, um, "So when do you think Sunday Eucharist actually begins?" So of course, most people will say, "Well, when you give the sign of the cross, or they announce the opening hymn, or whatever it is." And and my mantra is, the gathering for Sunday Eucharist. You know, when does that happen? When when does the gathering for Sunday Eucharist begins? And the way I put it is, it's when you make the decision to put yourself in motion in the direction of the church. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. the gathering of the body of Christ mm-hmm. is happening the moment you decide we're going to church today and everything that involves right. getting ready, uh, trying to coax somebody so we're not late for the 15th time, convincing the teenager who doesn't yes. want to even go, getting the kids to stop playing the, you know, whatever, making sure you took your medications before you left the house. This is all part of the the, the gathering. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, I think on pilgrimage, when does the pilgrimage begin? No, it's not when you get off the plane in Rome or Tel Aviv. It's not when you go to the first holy site. It's when you begin to set yourself in motion, Mm -hmm. make a decision Mm -hmm. that I'm going to enter into this experience. Luke says exactly that Mm -hmm. uh, in his perhaps famous uh, quotation in chapter 9, verse 51. This is the the linchpin of the whole experience of Jesus and his death and resurrection. Luke tells us Jesus sets his face on to go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's been preparing, many things have been happening, but he sets his face, he makes the decision, he puts himself and his followers, now this is where we are going. Mm-hmm. That's chapter 9. The narrative continues on until chapter 19. So all of the stuff between that declaration and arriving in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is of incredible significance, mm-hmm. and the same for us too. So our whole not only our Lenten journey, but I think our own daily spiritual journey is every day you and I are called to set our face toward what the Lord is drawing us to. And then once we make that decision, then the Lord has the open invitation to start doing things. Yes, we might be moving towards something, you know, I uh, maybe you're without a job and you're trying to set your face to, I need this employment or healing or reconciliation in my family or just more peace in our household or walking with a neighbor whose uh, wife just died, uh, whatever it happens to be, um, when we set our face toward that, then we're giving the Lord the openness to help us on on that way. So, so Luke says exactly that. In other words, that statement, it's a very dramatic statement in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, signals that there is going to be a new direction now. So mm-hmm. it's a new direction in the Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. It's a new direction in the life of Jesus and his followers. And of course, what we see along the way, too, is highs and lows. Yeah. And in that pilgrimage, then, once he, set, he sets his face to Jerusalem, others do not set their face for Jerusalem mm-hmm. and start going by the wayside, you know, along the way. And of course, what Luke is really echoing in many ways is the whole Israelite journey to the promised land, which would have also been touching hearts. The new Joshua, the new Moses, that thing. And you know, Father, we think about it in terms of, I'm sure that many of us, uh, we made some resolutions on Ash Wednesday, and we clearly intended to do certain things of some kind of spiritual practice or whatever. And then we discover very early on we have all these interruptions. Yeah, a and lot I'm, of interruptions. And, and I'm sure that's what befell <laughs> Jesus on the way, too. The apostles might have said, well, we got to get there. You know, I can imagine some of them said, you know, we got to take the quickest route there. And yet it appears that Jesus took this circuitous route. And of course, along the way, he has all these interruptions. Right. I mean, in Luke, again, Luke, uh, we're focusing on Luke today because he gives the most extended uh, narrative of the travel journey. And of course, what Luke is emphasizing, which we've touched on earlier, is that a life centered on Jesus is always a journey. 
And it's a journey along which we are going to discover more about what our relationship to him is, what his life in the kingdom is all about. And there are going to have to be adjustments uh, uh, along the way as this becomes clearer to us. And sometimes we're going to be, as his disciples were, very confused about the direction. I thought you said we were going here today. Mm-hmm. And and again, these disciples, apostles, and followers are very much like us. It's like, well, can't we just get there <laughs> when you're on the pilgrimages with people? I mean, you're riding around in a bus and it's 95 right. degrees and you're going through the desert. And, and all you want to do is, can we please can just we get, get there? Can we get there? Are can we there we, yet? Are we there yet? You know, can we get to Mount Sinai and can I see where the Ten Commandments are? You know, just can we get there? And then you you start getting testy. You start losing connection with community members. You start becoming more self-centered and self-focused. All the great ideas and plans you had are now going by uh, the wayside, we're getting more irritable. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happens on this, you know, the spiritual uh, spiritual journey as well. So, plans that we made on Ash Wednesday. Okay, we're not even a week away. You know, tomorrow's the week that we've been doing this Lenten thing already. <laughs> and again, I just simply encourage all of us: is okay. So you didn't do it. Do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think also sometimes what happens is, and we see this in the travel narrative of Luke is people's expectations of what's supposed to happen, people's expectations of what the journey is going to look like, what it should be like. Uh, Jesus is showing us, uh, you know, you're welcome to have expectations because they motivate us, they drive us, but also know that things are going to be different than what you expected along the way. So I think sometimes, let's t- you know, talking about our own Lenten uh, disciplines, uh, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, whatever any of us have chosen, if we're running into a problem, maybe we expected too much and we need to dial back. Well, you're listening to Treasures of Faith and we're on our Lenten pilgrimage with Father Ben Berinti. We're going to take a short break. Stay with us. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, Melbourne, Vero Beach. Well, welcome back to Treasures of Faith. We are on a Lenten journey with Father Ben Berinti. He's the pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Melbourne Beach. Let's let's get back on the road to Jerusalem, Father Ben. So we're on our way to Jerusalem. You know, you always see in Scripture, Father, that they're going up to Jerusalem. Now, I took geography in elementary school, and when I look at the map, Jesus is moving from the Galilee region south. Why is he going up? He's going up because Jerusalem technically is on a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so even directionally, it's moving. And uh, so, yeah, what I want to uh, have us uh, spend a little bit of time that we have remaining is is to maybe begin to have me make some suggestions on, we've got the gist of the narrative, we've got a gist about Jesus and, and what he's going to encounter in Jerusalem, so what might this have to say to us? What are what are some lessons that, yep. that we might take? And, and this is precisely, I believe, uh, one of the first of four lessons, not sure we'll have time to get to all four, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, the first lesson is, in the Bible, Jerusalem is always up. So every time people went to Jerusalem, the terminology is always, we're going up to Jerusalem. So even though you said it's a southward movement, it's a movement because it's a climb. Mm-hmm. It's a climb uh, to, so to, geographically, mostly because it is on, on a mountain. Mm-hmm. The other thing that 
people sp- spoke about uh, in Jesus's time and prior to that, and even in the Psalms up to Jerusalem, there's even a, an old song that we sang in the Catholic Church that was during the Lenten season, up to Jerusalem, my Lord goes to die. Because you were always going to offer up an offering, a gift to the temple mm-hmm. when you you went there. So here we have, uh, so all these people who are making pilgrimage during Passover going up to Jerusalem, they are not only climbing toward Jerusalem, they are, all re- they are also offering up gifts that are part of this journey. Mm-hmm. So of course we have in the Lord, as he is moving during Passover to Jerusalem, what is the gift he is bringing? He is bringing the gift of himself, and he is going to offer himself as the gift that he brings to to Jerusalem. So, so you always have uh, not only the the geography of it, but you have the metaphor of climbing, mm. uh, and also of going up, and that's a common image within spiritual writers. You know, there are many spiritual titles that talk about the ascent mm-hmm. in the spiritual life. So, I think one of the lessons um, that we can take with us uh, in this up to Jerusalem, the highs and the lows, that in the Bible Jerusalem is always going up. In our spiritual lives, in our journey, it's it's a climb, mm-hmm. uh, and climbs are rigorous, um, and uh, they are they are challenging. We are about to hear again the climb up the mountain this weekend for the Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, it's a wonderful destiny once, and and this again encapsulates our whole conversation about pilgrimage. We'll hear that story. So there's this climb, there's this ascent to the Mount of the Transfiguration, and then there's this incredible experience. But then that's it. It's over. Gotta Don't leave. say anything about mm-hmm. it. We've got to leave. We've got to continue on mm-hmm. in the journey, no matter how beautiful that is. So I think there's something, again, a lesson in there uh, that tells us that, you know, much of our spiritual journey is going to be this going up, the the the, the extra breath that it takes, the, mm-hmm. the weariness that it brings to us. I mean, everything that that metaphor implies, this is this is part of our life, and not only do we sort of you know, even when you're on these pilgrimages, everybody's thankful for, oh my gosh, at least we're not touring anymore. Can right. I just sit on that park bench over there? All right. We've seen 10 churches today. Yes. <laughs> I've seen my 15th Michelangelo. It's beautiful, but can I just go sit on that park bench well, if, over there and have a gelato? If anyone has been to the Mount of Transfiguration, I want to tell you, it's a climb. And, you know, we're so into convenience. Of course, we as pilgrims didn't climb. We drove up. But I'm thinking in Jesus's day to climb that mountain, you're talking about expending some real effort. It's not like going over the causeway here in Florida. No, and it's that's a climb. Yeah, and that's the, you know, the beautiful thing about you being able to share with us the, the realities of, you know, your experiences in seeing these places in the Holy Land. So, yes, and for the gospel writers, you know, we, we you know, they, Jesus takes them up the mountain and actually the, the, uh, experience we'll hear from Matthew this week, really there's a sense in this scripture that Jesus is kind of dragging them along. Mm, I there's can some, understand it. Yeah, there, so so very practically you see that, and sometimes that's the case with us. I mean, you know, here's this mountain, and I, I don't want to, can I wait for you down here mm-hmm. till everybody is gets back? Is there a back? chairlift? Yes, is there a chairlift <laughs> on the way, or can I, you know, is there a little rickshaw to take yeah. me up there or something like that? But even the tone of Matthew's gospel is, um, Jesus has to kind of drag them along, and then they, he delivers this incredible experience. And again, that's, that's part, I think, the lesson of up to Jerusalem for us as well, that, that it is a slog. But here's the point back to what we said earlier is that's not wasted time. That's not wasted effort. 
God, so in a sense, God is revealing what you see on the mountaintop. The revelations are actually happening along the way. But if we're so focused on the end result, we're missing, Mm -hmm. we're waiting for the big Mm -hmm. revelation. And the Lord is saying, but I've got a whole lot of little revelations that will make Mm -hmm. the big one taste even sweeter. Mm -hmm. But we're just, you know. But we get exhausted like the disciples are along the way. So but that's kind of one of the first lessons I would, would offer. Um, and we're kind of like Peter, Father, because on the Mount of Transfiguration, he basically wants to stay there and build a couple of shoddy dwellings so that they can just enjoy the moment and continue to enjoy the moment rather than having to go down the mountain and begin the journey. Right. Uh, and again, this is so typical of our own you know, life experiences uh, when we're blessed to have something that really touches our heart, moves us or whatever, you want to stay, we want to stay in the moment. Mm. But, But here's always certainly the lesson of the Lord and the lesson of the scriptures is we are not given these experiences, these encounters, just so that we can say, isn't that great? I saw this. Mm-hmm. No, it's so that we can do something with it. Mm. And I think that's one of the qualities we talked about last week, pilgrims and tourists, you don't want to just say, wow, I had this great experience. Here's a photo or here's a little video I shot of it. It's what is this supposed to do? Because you've had this encounter, what are you going to do with it? How is it going to change you or change someone else? So Peter is not only wanting to sort of extend the nice, quiet, calm glory, but coupled with that is I don't want to have to do anything with this experience. Mm-hmm. And so we're not we're not. We're, we are blessed, this is one of the great lessons of all of the scripture, is God never blesses so that the blessing comes and rests upon any one of us. Mm. Scripture tells us we are always blessed, people, groups of people, communities of people, so that they can in turn be a blessing. Mm. So the movement up to Jerusalem for the Lord, is uh, it's a slog, it's, it's hard, and, and so is, is our movement. So as we were talking before the break about, well, I had some plans for Lent, and you know, six days in, I'm already... I'm already sort of sitting on the bench sleeping <laughs> while everybody else is moving on. Mm-hmm. No, that's just part of it. We pick ourselves back up and we uh, we start. And again, I think sometimes we may need to recalibrate. You know, you, you, you took on too much. You know, you were, you were too enthusiastic on Ash Wednesday. You mm-hmm. set yourself up for failure. So here on, uh, you know, the first Lenten Tuesday, step back, grab on to maybe one thing and you know, move, move forward because it's, it's a long climb still, still yet to go. So really what we're seeking, Father, as we are on this pilgrimage, as we go through the Lenten experience, we're really seeking a kind of balance, aren't we? We're, we're patient enough, not only with ourselves, but we also want to balance that with a little bit of extra inconvenience, I guess we could say. I mean, look at us as Americans. You know, I'm thinking of how you were describing the idea of going up to Jerusalem, and I'm thinking it's quite a climb, obviously. Even as they were walking, it's a climb. And yet you think in terms of they had to bring something with them. They were offering gifts, you know. We are so into the area of convenience. I mean, we come to church, Father, we might have a, a, a check in our pocket, and we think that's heavy, Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, we went, we went uh, and, and we, we sort of get, we don't even realize at times we're doing it, but we, um, sometimes people are seeking from our 
Catholic communities, but then sometimes also as leaders in the Catholic community, we're, we're sort of offering convenience back and we get all caught up in, oh, we didn't make this short enough or we mm. didn't make it convenient mm. enough or we mm. didn't offer it seven times in the same day mm. so that it could fit into somebody's niche. And, you know, again, we want to be adaptable, flexible, welcoming. Um, we want, oh, I prefer this mass because it's more convenient, Mm -hmm. um, or I only minister at this Mass because it's more convenient. Mm -hmm. We don't do the other Masses. So even sometimes (laughs) within ministers, within the community, it's like ministry means to open ourselves to the inconvenience of ministry. Service. Service, not to just say, well, I'm sorry, this is the only time I go, or I choose to go to this Mm. liturgy at my church because, you know what, Father so-and-so always has that Mass, (laughs) and it's only 42 and a half minutes, and you know what, they don't even have an music mm. isn't that great mm. so then we can go about you know our more important mm. business and so you know we again we get not only sometimes people seek that sort of convenience but unfortunately as leaders we sometimes buy into that and then we offer them convenience and in the whole business the the whole experience and pilgrimage you know gets uh, gets watered down so Going up to Jerusalem, the challenges that we face, they are, they are always going to be there in our, our spiritual journey. But there's, there's a second lesson I'd like to suggest, too, about Jesus' whole movement when he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, is that, and here's the way I'd put the lesson, you can only stay on the fringes so long before you have to go into the center or the middle of it all. For Jesus, Jerusalem is the center and the middle of it all. This is the heart and soul of his Jewish faith, the Jewish community. It's Passover. It's where the leadership is. It's where if the reign of God is going to come, somehow it has to spring forth in the the guts of of the whole uh, community of people. And, and, you know, when you look in the scriptures— um, and you would know from, just think about your own travels to the Holy Land, most of Jesus's ministry found him avoiding, right. sort of skirting the great population centers. Mm-hmm. Now today, they're built up, and mm-hmm. uh, but in Jesus's time, he mostly is going just from a series of small towns, countryside places that were of little worldly importance. He was on the fringes, mm-hmm. and he does this purposely because this is where people seem to be more receptive, uh, people more in need, but he was kind of avoiding going into the, you know, the jaws of the lion. But eventually, uh, at least Luke tells it, he had to set his face. You, we, you have to, because as a prophet, you know, Jesus is recognized and he speaks and is, and is um, described as the greatest prophet using all kinds of Old Testament imagery. Eventually, every prophet had to go to the center of conflict. Mm-hmm. Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. take your, your pick. They, they sort of work on the fringes, but then eventually you get to the point where if something is going to change, if life is going to be different, if the, and especially for Jesus, if the religion is going to be reformed, I have to go to the center of it all. Mm. Um, and prophets, all prophets in the scriptures have to eventually go to the center of conflict, to the institutional Mm. center Mm. of things, of their religion, to challenge the structures of renewal and reform. So I think this is what we see happening. So one of the other implications, you know, for the Lord is it's great having the crowds and all this sort of on the side and kind of a low-key sort of ministry moving here. 
In some ways, he often was relatively close to home or the home bases he set up with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Bethany. And, and that feels good to come back after a hard day and to go to places where you're welcome, you're loved, you're accepted. But eventually, in our life, in our journeys, we're going to have to move away from the places where it's safe and secure and go mm. right into the heart of it. And mm. for me, this is a big lesson, a big challenge of our in our own personal lives and our Lenten journey. You know, you can only stay on the fringes so long of certain issues in your life, certain mm. conflicts that are going on. And then eventually, you, we're going to have to make the decision to, to go to the heart of this, confront somebody about something, confront my own sinfulness, mm -hmm. um, go and really make a difference in somebody's life because it's needed right now. So I think there's a great lesson in what Jesus does here. You can only stay on the fringes so long, and then eventually the Lord is going to say, uh, no more on the sidelines. Yeah. You got it. And, and this would be true for the apostles. By the way, you're on our Lenten pilgrimage together here with Father Ben Berinti. And Father, I'm thinking about the apostles, and, you know, they probably were not all that excited, I think, about going to Jerusalem. And yet they did go with Jesus. So they're, they're, they're exhibiting faith, but they too have to kind of leave the fringes because, as we know, they failed at the moment when Jesus you know, needed them the most, and, and yet they, they, they hunt in there for the journey, and we all know what happened when we get to the garden, but it's the whole idea. It really does give us hope, doesn't it? It does, and, and again, they, you know, the Gospels tell us that for many of them, they left everything they had to follow him, so that was an initial leap of faith, and now he's asking them really to leave their, literally their own familiar territory, mm -hmm. where their homes were, where their families were, and because, you know, the scriptures are, there's this mounting conflict, increasing conflict. The heat on the stove is going up between Jesus and the religious leaders of his time, and they know this, they feel this, and they're trying to say, no, no, that we, we, we can't do that. Do you know what's going to happen? Do you know what's going to happen to us if we go there? And yet they do go along. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, they do go along. And I would say this is one of the other lessons, um, kind of in keeping with this, is that despite the risks and the dangers, first of all, Jesus still goes to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And as you said, by association, the disciples somehow, confused, disoriented, upset, there's enough trust there mm. that we will go with you. Mm -hmm. So despite the, what the scenery looks like, you know, despite this Jesus himself having a very strong, foreboding sense that what he's about to face once he decided to go Jerusalem, this is this is really tough stuff, and yet he still goes. And I think for the disciples, somehow they had enough trust in who was leading and guiding them, even with a lot of reservations. And I think perhaps that's the application of this third lesson I would say for us too, is how much trust can I muster when it looks like where the Lord is asking me to go, this is risky, this is dangerous, I'm completely unprepared for mm -hmm. this. Um, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. My sense is the outcome is not going to be really good, or it's not going to be really good, and maybe on the other side of the not really good is something, but all I can see is that you know, what's what's my level of, of trust? What's my level of determination? You know, what's the Lord asking me to set my face on right now today that looks as risky, as dangerous, as troubling, as upsetting? And can I somehow reach down and trust enough in the one who is leading this pilgrimage to still go along 
uh, despite maybe every fiber in my body right now that doesn't that doesn't want to do that. Well, I know the theme today, Father Ben, is the highs and lows of pilgrimage. So I, I am thinking a little bit about the apostles because while they were in the Galilee region, over time, Jesus became rather popular. And so the apostles are kind of experiencing the high of this approval, and they're uh, in the inner circle with this very popular individual now they're heading for Jerusalem and, of course, all of the various encounters. And as you mentioned, you know, Palm Sunday was this fantastic experience. They're probably thinking, oh, this is great. And then all of a sudden things begin to go in a little different direction. So we really do see the highs and the lows as the apostles experienced. Yes, this is the this and, you know, kind of continuing on in that line. So here are, here some things are starting to go like really well. So you say to yourself, why do I want to leave friendly territory for unfriendly territory? Mm -hmm. yeah. We say the same thing in our life. Why do I want to leave friendly territory, something I'm familiar with, even with its own challenges? You know, why do people get stuck? Why do we get stuck in different situations mm -hmm. in our life? Well, because we're familiar with them. Mm -hmm. Even though we know they're maybe not the best for us or, boy, they have a lot of problems with them. I know this better than I know what's out there. So mm -hmm. we tend to, you know, get stuck mm -hmm. in, a, in a rut. We do this spiritually. We do it physically, emotionally, in our relationships, so forth. So here's the disciples also saying, wow, you're, you know, we're finally trying to, we're getting some traction here in the Galilee region and crowds are starting to turn up. And yeah, a few people have been going by the wayside, but this is, this is really great. What do you want to leave? You know, it's kind of like, why would you want to leave this theater? We've had standing room only, you know, shows going on for three months. Now you want to take it on the road. What do you want to do that for? <laughs> we have no idea what's going to be happening. And here's the other little twist that we can maybe look into the scriptures to see. So he gets to Jerusalem and we see this, this, the accolades of these people. Okay, so let's go back to something we said earlier. He's going for Passover. He's bringing his retinue with him. He is probably gathering other people because they feel this is something momentous. So in other words, many of these adoring people from Galilee are with him going to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So we, we tend to often think that he gets to Jerusalem and there's some kind of waiting crowd of strangers. A welcoming committee. Welcoming committee kind. with the palm <laughs> branches and throwing the cloaks mm -hmm. down. Well, in reality, it's mostly his own people right. <laughs> who yeah. are leading the parade. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. But in other words, it, it's, it's the crowd that went along with him and then very quickly they immediately encounter, oh, Everybody loves a parade, but mm -hmm. this is where the parade has taken us. Mm -hmm. And so now what, what's going to be happening to us as we, as we get there? So, again, these, these apostles and disciples, we're very much like them. They are very much like us uh, insofar as uh, what, are our, what are our motivations? Um, and I think this is perhaps, you know, in, in these narratives now, but as we go through the Lenten season, you know, Bill, you would know as being so well-versed in the Scriptures that— the evangelists write the scriptures, write the gospels, the letters too, but, but mostly in the gospels because they invite audience participation. Mm. In other words, they're telling the story of Jesus and his encounters because he wants people like you and me to figure out where are you in this story? Mm. Who are you? Mm. Where are you? So as we enter into this, um, this Lenten pilgrimage beginning today with Jerusalem, part of the story is, well, where am I? in this you know not only what's the jerusalem the lord wants me to set my face toward 
But where am I? Am I am I like I'm really on a high right now because I just came off of a Curcio or, mm-hmm. or a retreat or something like that. And I'm waving the palm branches and, you know, quite frankly, I'm not prepared for. Or, you know, I've been pretty satisfied with where I am in my fringe relationship to the church <laughs> and to my local community. We have mm-hmm. lots of Catholics love the fringe. Oh, yeah. Love the fringe. I've always you know, told the story that I believe there are people who never once have spoken to me as a pastor walking right past me on a Sunday morning because they're afraid if I touch their hand or, God forbid, I learn their name, I'm going to drag them into the middle of things and make them take on seven ministries and pay off half of my debt for Catholic appeal. Right. No, I— This, inviting them into the black hole. It, right, so to exactly. Speak. <laughs> so, so many times we're. So, I think in terms of this narrative and the reality of it in our own journey right now is, you know, wh- where do I find myself? H- how am I being called to participate in this pilgrimage that, that I'm going along with the Lord's passion? Because remember, we are we are trying to be passionate pilgrimage pilgrims in the Lord's passion, not just hangers by, mm-hmm. not people on the fringe. But again, up to Jerusalem, there were many people on the fringe. There are many people who just went, waved the, the uh, palms, threw down the cloaks, and then they went about their business mm-hmm. uh, someplace else. But that's not what that's not what the Lord is asking mm-hmm. for us. He's asking for this this intentional. Uh, prove, uh, uh, joining him. And I think that's, I would segue into just simply the last lesson I'd like to suggest is on our faith journey, beware of the approval of the crowds. Mm. Beware of the shouts of the crowd. You yeah. have this triumphant victory parade, mm. the way it is described in Luke and in other places, it echoes many things from the Old Testament, First Kings, Second Kings, Maccabees, Psalm 118. It's all depicting this this messianic movement. So you've got all of that going on, but certainly what up to Jerusalem describes and shows us is the fickleness of the crowd, the fickleness of mob mentality. Mm -hmm. And certainly I think in our own spiritual journeys and our journey of faith as disciples, but certainly in our cultural journey right now, we should be more than well aware of mob mentality Mm -hmm. and what that does to people and what it's doing to our own our own life as Catholics, mm-hmm. even when we get caught up in this, mm-hmm. I think a great lesson of of the Jerusalem experience and making our first stop there is those crowds were large, yep. they were loud, they were boisterous, uh, but they didn't necessarily last very long. No, no. And you know, you try to, and I know it's it's somewhat difficult for us to put ourselves in the place of Jesus, and, and we do that obviously very carefully. But it's the idea of how he portrays, and, and Father Ben, when I read Luke's gospel and I see him moving toward Jerusalem, there's such a calmness about him and a certain peace about him. And he imparts that peace along the way And I'm trying to envision, as the apostles are watching this, I'm often wondering, are you guys really seeing this for what it is? (laughs) And it gives me hope because I so often miss that also as I'm immersed in the the everyday activities of working in in a busy parish. We forget that what Jesus is really inviting us into as he... Uh, invites us to follow him to Jerusalem. Yes, very much so. Um, and we see that especially in the Gospel of John, because in John's Gospel, Jesus is in control of every waking moment, of every mm-hmm. movement, of everything that is happening there. But I think that's a beautiful thing for us to, you know, sort of maybe bring our time together uh, to a close, is that in the midst of everything that the disciples are going through and experiencing, that's us. Here is the Lord who's about to pay the price 
uh, we're only paying the price residually. He pays the price completely, uh, but yet he tries to bring this calming, peaceful, trusting, uh, committed. Uh, he's the paragon of commitment here. He wants to share that with us. Mm. And, and that mm. is what the Lord wants to do for each of us. But at the same time, I think what you and I are invited to do is, can we do that for somebody else? Mm. Can I be right now, mm. today, can I be a calming presence for someone in the midst? And, and calming presence doesn't mean, oh, let's pretend this isn't happening mm-hmm. or let's set up all because see, the, the disciples wanted all kind of diversions, too, along the way. We're, we're not talking about offering diversions, but can we be mm-hmm. that calming presence when people are in the midst of you know, their own personal Jerusalem right now? And, and maybe what the Lord is saying, can you, can you be for someone else in the midst of the tensions of someone's life, the, the pulling, the triumphs, the defeat, the praises, the adulation, all that uh, accusation, you know, you're, people are going through all of that right now. Can I be mm-hmm. something of that kind of presence so that people will continue on in the journey? And I think you know probably in your own leading of pilgrimages, there are times when people in the group of pilgrims, we, we pick each other up. And yeah. this is the, that's why you yeah. can't do pilgrimage alone. You have to do it as a community. Absolutely. So how are you and I today, how are our listeners called to pick someone else up as we're all going to our Jerusalem? You know, that's a beautiful challenge, Father, but it's also a beautiful invitation for us to continue on this journey that we're experiencing during this Lenten season and to have that peace that wonderful peace that passes all understanding and be able to allow that to kind of reach out and influence others is a beautiful thing. Father, you have a prayer that you want to share with us as we close uh, this uh, uh, version of our Lenten pilgrimage. So we gather, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God of the journey, create in each of us the heart of a pilgrim and give us the courage to set off on our Lenten pilgrimage again today. You call us, Lord, to leave familiar things in our comfort zone. Grant that this time spent on pilgrimage may help us to see ourselves as we really are, and may we strive to become the people you would have us be. God the Father who created us, guide our footsteps. God the Son who redeemed us, give us a share in your passion. God the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, lead us on this Lenten journey. And may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you wherever you may go. Amen. Father Ben, I want to thank you so much for joining me again today and leading us in this series during Lent. Uh, We are on a Lenten journey. We are on a pilgrimage. And next week, our topic will be the question, is there a place finding room for the supper? So I hope you'll join us next Tuesday here on Divine Mercy Radio. This is part of our Treasures of Faith series. Father Ben, again, thank you so much for joining us. You are listening to Divine Mercy Radio, Melbourne, Vero Beach.